I ended up uh, pretty much going to the majority of my clients and telling them, I'm sorry, I have to cancel this project. Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I gave them a professional reason, but truthfully, I couldn't mentally continue. Hope. Hope is different for everyone. Some hope for success. Hope for love. Hope for freedom. Some hope the missing will return. By the cataclysm they herald will never rise again. Okay, so you actually, I'm going to change gears a little bit here, um, and you kind of just mentioned it, but good sir, what happens when you combine a cat and a potato? <laughs> well, you get one of the biggest fucking games I've ever worked on that is actually going to probably hopefully release in 2023 um, called A Potato Tale, which is a... <laughs> a puzzle platforming JRPG adventure about the potato cats on the Isle of Moor. Okay. <laughs> I, I got like a ton of things I want to ask you about this because so when we first met, you were, you were just starting, well, actually, no, I don't think you were starting on Potato Tail. I think you may no, have on. We had just started because uh, okay. I actually started Potato in late 2015 and I had originally built it out as, you're going to laugh, as a, let's just do a quick little puzzle game and get it out there. Scope um, creep. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. So we built that and I started in late 2015. And at GDC, I actually took a build with me of this little simple puzzle game where you placed characters and like, for example, you might have a wall, beer is the wall, and there'd be a star over here and you'd have a mount point here and you have to place the characters so they sort of like arc and physics bend over a touch the star. And that's how you completed levels. And I showed off, I think four or five levels. I showed with some friends and they all pretty much dug it quite a bit. Um, but I played this game 
at uh, the mix GDC 2016, um, which is when I want to turn this off, uh, called Hue. And I'm playing it, and Hue is this puzzle game where you like collect colors and have to sort of change the color of your environment to reveal different things. And the game was a Metroidvania, but I kept thinking, man, this feels like it could have been a puzzle game, but it's so much cooler as a Metroidvania. Why couldn't I do that with Potato Tail? And then the and scope creep begins. So <laughs> I'm at a party the next night and I actually run into the developer. I don't know he's a developer of Hue at first. It's a Henry Hoffman. And I'm chatting with him and I'm like, oh yeah, I was play playing this, this Hue game. And he goes, really? That's my game. I'm like, oh, well, I was playing it and you know, I saw how it was this like puzzle game, but a Metroidvania and everything. And he goes, you know, that's, it's, it's interesting you said that because Hue used to be a puzzle game. We turned it into Metroidvania. I'm like, because of playing that game, I've been working on this puzzle game and I decided I'm going to go home and turn it into a Metroidvania. He's like going, yes, yes, I did the same thing. I'm so glad you got that out of it. So I came home and I fucking did that. I made a platforming system and I tried jumping this character around. You know, I'd place the characters just like in the puzzle version and I jumped the character. I'm, and I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> I actually kind of really dig this. And so from there, I just kind of kept growing it. And you know, we, we never really had a budget for it. So I, I was never able to like throw a lot of money at it. And I mean, we got a little money here and there, but it was like, not a lot. And so it's enough for me to like pay for some music, pay for some art, things like that. So as a result, you know, I, I was pretty much working a lot of these, you know, various side projects as I mean, you do in games until you get some, something stable. So I'm working like four or five full-time projects at a time for like pennies to the dollar just to not be able to pay bills. But at the same time, I'm working on this potato project on the side, just kind of screwing around with different ideas, but never actually having a very cohesive direction because of, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I don't have time to work right now. So we're going to shelve it for three months and come back to it. And I come back to it and have all these new ideas and different directions. I'm like, oh, well, this thing here isn't as good as it could be, things like that. So that, that kind of resulted in it kind of really just blowing up into in, in scope. And I think it was around 20. 18, I want to say it was that um, we we were pushing hard, like really hard to get some funding. Yep. And we even had this one publisher who we were actually this close to signing with. They're going to give us the full budget we need to produce the game. And then at the last fucking second, these assholes pull out. And I'll tell you privately later who it is. I'm, I'm not going to publicly shit on people, but I tell everybody I can not to work with this publisher because they are they did this to me and they did this to a few other companies that I'm friends with also. Um, but I mean, we're, we're so close to signing with them. We even did the thing where I, at uh, GDC 2018, I actually brought a bottle of fucking locally produced uh, whiskey or rum. I forget what it was, but it was like a, an expensive bottle made in Colorado. And I gave it to them and everything as, you know, a, a goodwill gift because I knew we were about to sign. And, you know, in person, even like, yeah, so we're going to go home. We're going to send you the paperwork. I'm like, this is amazing. So that actually affected how I treated the entirety of GDC. Went home and they're like, we're concerned about what you're showing that it doesn't seem like a finished game and all these things. I'm like, it's a demo, early demo. So they basically backed out of the project and fucked me over pretty bad because we had set, because that was pretty much close. We had set everything up around that. After that, I was so dejected by the whole thing that I was like, you know, let's just, let's pause this and rebuild as much as we can to something much cleaner and 
come back to it later, pretty much. The lesson you learn from that is give them the booze after the deal is signed. Exactly. That and trust nobody until it's the, the ink is... And, yeah, until the ink is on the... Uh... Yeah, but the fact they did that to me and they did that to a bunch of other companies I know who were in very similar positions. They had, you know, like rocking demos and everything. Because I'm, I'm sure you've seen Potato was in the press. Yep. We were getting all this positive feedback and everything. I mean, even today, we, we actually have a Discord today with like 156 users. And it's the busiest, noisiest Discord I am in. Your, your Discord, sir, Discord certainly is um, far livelier than the kids of Karen now Discord. <laughs> and I, I just feel so fortunate. We've got such a community there. And there are people that are willing to wait for Potato Tail also. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> I, I, like, on that note, because you're, you're, you're taking a step back now and, and well, this polishing is now, then. But then. Um, and yeah. well, still now, right? I mean, you're still doing a lot of work on it now. Now, but we're in a different position now. Right. Um, but... <laughs> I remember some of the feedback that you told me on Discord um, that you received is like, like about the jumping mechanic and how I don't know what was the exact feedback you got like wasn't didn't feel like comfortable, natural, something to that effect. Some people said it was floaty. Some people said it was heavy. It was literally opposite things. And so, I, this is what I've learned about jump mechanics. USC is even in big AAA popular games. Everybody hates the jumping. I, I really liked it because um, I felt like when I was jumping in that game, I was a potato cat jumping. And that's how I felt a potato cat would jump. That's just It just made complete sense to me. Just with the context of everything else in the game, it was like the perfect jump. But hey, what do I know? <laughs> Well, I think we went back to a lot of the, the way that's, that, that felt because we did redo a bunch of the platforming mechanics, everything, uh, the platforming code. And I think we went back to that because we're also being, we had a little money in the game, I mean, a little money and some influencing and some design because of that. But we've actually um, separated ourselves from the, the, the individual with that um, for reasons I won't get into here or really anywhere public. Uh, but so we've kind of changed a lot of our design direction as a result. But um, I, I guess, let me, let me go back to where I was a moment ago and kind of come bring up to where we are now because I think it will help to explain things. Um, so we, what I personally decided is I was also literally going like proper insane because I couldn't find the money to survive or anything. So I'm trying to- I remember that. Because signing that deal basically gave me survival money, gave me the money to finish Potato Tail properly. Um, and got us out of a really bad place. So when that ended, that was it. I had some other projects I was working on, but they're all like very low pain as games are. Um, and I pretty much had to go to my clients at the time because I did the math and I realized that to keep, to get the money needed for me to just, just pay my basic bills with the money I was being offered by clients as well as potential clients, I would need to take on, I think it was eight full-time projects and I calculated the time and I would get three hours of sleep a night and I would not get a day off ever. Um, and I would also only get, I think an hour off a day for food. And this would allow me to finish the projects and still not make enough money to pay my bills. And oh, that these, sounds aren't wonderful. Even, these aren't even rich person bills or anything. These are just bill bills i mean yeah i've got 
debt and things from not making enough money to survive. And, you know, I have tax problems from not being, not making enough money to pay my taxes. And I have medical bills because, you know, we've had ER visits and things. And my wife spent uh, oh, two weeks in the ER at different points. Uh, so yeah, we were so broke that we started like looking, we're like, can we afford, do, do we need to get um, food stamps? Did, are we even going to be able to pay rent this month? next month could we pay last month i mean i don't know how many times we actually went to my apartment and pleaded with them to let us pay late and they said sure but they're going to have to charge us so we always had to pay like additional 45 dollars on top of our rent and things mm. it was Dude. bad so i'm sorry I, that, that must have been so stressful i'm so it, sorry it was, it was so bad and um i think i was so disillusioned with games at that point i'm like this is not survivable I've, I had applied for almost 150 jobs and I was getting a mix of zero responses or those who did respond said I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the experience they needed and the handful of interviews I did get didn't go anywhere. Um, and I learned at the time, don't trust headhunters because it seems like, cause they would always be like, oh yeah, we're going to get you in. No, we, yeah. we want you for this job. And I would never hear from them again. So I'm like, are headhunters like scams and collecting resumes? How does that even make sense? So I ended up uh, pretty much going to the majority of my clients and telling them, I'm sorry, I have to cancel this project. Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I gave them a professional reason, but truthfully, I couldn't mentally continue. I was, I was very seriously considering suicide. Uh, oh my God. And I, I'm even telling my dad that I'm like, I think I might leave the game industry. And he's like, you sure you want to do it? That's kind of what your passion is. And I'm like, this industry is not survivable. You cannot work here and uh, make enough money to live or anything. So I ended up doing all of that, backed away from projects. Uh, there's still one person in particular I, I feel really bad about because I think she thinks I hate her or something. Because when I backed away from a business deal we had, she even messaged me like three weeks later and she's like, I just need to know, was it something I did? And I'm like, I, I promise it's nothing you did. So if well, you, maybe, so, maybe she'll watch this podcast. I, I was going to say, and... if you, if, she, if she's watching this, you know who you are. And I swear it was nothing about you. I was just, I couldn't afford to keep up with that. So um, what do we do? We, basically just got ourselves into massive debt. And I looked everywhere for work. Um, I did have a little money coming in from one project. And that was one that actually set, ended up sending me to China and everything. Um, but I had to be damn careful because uh, we were still borrowing to pay rent and everything. Um, and I know my, my dad who'd always made decent money, uh, basically supported me in a lot of ways. You know, we borrowed money from them. We borrowed money from my wife's parents left and right. And since the time I'm putting in resumes everywhere, I'm getting nowhere. So we're talking at this, I think this is a good six or seven months had passed me looking for work and getting nothing. Uh, and the only offers I was getting was from small companies who was give, who were offering me, um, uh, I think the average was 15 to $20 an hour. The highest I was being offered five an hour. And I did relations and even if I worked 35 an hour, like three of those jobs, I still wouldn't be able to afford my rent and all the uh, bills and debt I had at the time. So, wow. <laughs> all um, of this goes into I finally did get a job, but they still 
underpaid pretty significantly. And they were a very toxic company, unfortunately. Um, and, but so worked them up until 2018, then I, we mutually quit. They, we, it was a mutual separation. Cause I'm like, you guys are toxic. And they're like, well, you're not finishing anything. I'm like, cause y'all are toxic fucks. So that ended and uh, I spent like another seven months looking for work. And I finally, oh no, that, that time was five months. And I did find something, but it was outside of games. Actually the first was outside of games too. Um, but I, then, so all that kept going on. And the other one I found, they weren't a bad company by any means. Um, the, the one I got in 2019, 20, no, I'm sorry, 2020, 2020. That's when I actually found good. So it took me almost a year and a half of searching to actually find something decent that paid proper. <laughs> wow. So that's why I never lose your job in games. And this, again, none of this even in game. So I get that. And for the first time in year, I'm actually making, money to survive enough money to put away it's still a contract job though um which is why i was convinced there are no salary positions available at all anymore for engineers because i couldn't find one um so but with that i was able to start kind of turning things around i'm like i was finally not impossibly depressed you know people like i got all this blurred for a reason people have seen that how much my place is trashed and much of that is because of massive depression for um, on top of lots of death because I mean let's be honest 2020 was a little difficult for people uh anyway so on top of that three of my died in the past year and a half um you know I've, I'm a little close to my cats uh in, including one that was like basically my familiar they're so fucking close was that fact, pixel? I keep no pixel is thankfully still around okay uh, thank god snagopus okay. who's is actually uh, some of his ashes and little hearts that I keep with me at my desk. Um, so we had that. We had family members die. We had all this terrible shit happen. Uh, you know, I was... I was fine. Sorry, go ahead. I was along well, with you on that ride for a while. I, like, I mean, I kept talking to you um, on yeah. Discord during that. I mean, but you and I haven't spoken in person in years. Um, no, and... I, I look forward to us fixing that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But um, I, I don't think I really truly realized the your emotional state. And, I mean, I oh, think bad. I did, but um, because it's just for hearing it now, it's just like, oh man, this just makes me feel like real bad for you. Well, and I'll be honest, there's actually other stuff that happened too that just pounded into all this. And those are things I'll even get into in public. But there's just. There is even more and more and more. So, but from a lot of that, I actually left like all the communities I was in um, and other things. But so I was finally making, and I swear this is all related to potato. So I, so I was finally making enough money to survive and enough money to like put some away fun with and pay my bills and I'm getting out of that. And I'm like, for once, I didn't have to freak out and worry about things. The only thing I had to worry about was getting paid by a contract client, which you know how they always are. They, they like to delay things out as long as possible. So there were still a few months were like, um, money now, you're mm -hmm. three weeks late. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, everything was going pretty fucking well. So um, I was actually able to finally start looking at project again and 
Runic, we actually started in 2018, early oh, 2018 wow. is when we closed the deal. We are two years late in uh, in that for our, our for our partner, and I'm very happy they've been so willing to work with us and deal with us. Um, and or I should say deal with us, but work with us on the delays and everything. But a lot of that was because I was in such a bad place. I couldn't finish this game. Um, but getting that up last year, I was finally at a point where I was able to start, you know, focusing on things again. And I took a hefty step back. And I was, you know, looking at uh, Loam, became Runic, and figured out the completion plan to make this work. Um, so I'm sure people are like, didn't you go last year red and yeah i did because one of my clients i got who was a super awesome client i actually still have them um they actually gave me the money to go <laughs> and started working with them uh so that was sorry that was really i think you broke a couple of us the tokyo game show you went to right no, this actually wasn't tokyo game show um I, I mean i did go to tokyo game show for business with like some of the last of my business money back in uh-huh. 20 um 2019. Okay, so I got my time. So sorry, I'm sorry. Where did you go then? So, well, so I went in 2019 to TGS mm-hmm. to find projects. Um, yeah. Didn't find anything because we hadn't released anything in a while. And as a game company, if you haven't released anything, you don't exist. So, but in early 2020, just before, I mean, literally just before all the pandemic stuff hit the, you know, shit the fan and the bed at once, um, you know, one, one clients is like, hey, you want to go to Japan? And I was like, what what body part am I putting where to, to do this? Because yes, I'd love to go to Japan. And they're like, okay, well, you know, it's part of working with us. Here, money here. You know, you'll here's you'll a bonus. Go fly to Japan. Pretty much, yeah. So they funded my entire fucking Japan, which was wonderful. But I'm just bringing it up in case people watching this are like, Red, you say you were so broke, but you went to Japan. I'm like, yeah, and that was that was how and why. And also how I went in, in 2018 the last of my business funds to find work uh, that wiped out whatever the company had left. Um, so, uh, yeah, so went through Gloam, restructured everything and have been working since then on getting it cleaned up and done. And I basically remember I was even telling my wife who handles like the, the CFO stuff of the company, I was like, I'm going to have to put potato on pause, but I think we actually have a plan here. And we can get this done and then pick up potato again. And meanwhile, kind of clean up the potato design, which is exactly what we did. So Runic is, I mean, Gloam, now Runic, is pretty much done, aside from some final and publishing hunting. And move, we're, we moved back into potato. We've kind of cleaned up the business project portion of that. We've been discussing potential new professional partnerships with that that I'm not ready to talk about, but, you know, could in the future. Um, and there's some huge opportunities there. And we've gone back into production kind of at time because I've reviewed the entire design pretty heavily. We made a lot of changes and we did one of the things that Potato never had before is we finalized the fucking design. Um, so it's, it's no longer all these random ideas floating around. It's this is what we're making. This is the scope of the game. The long we anticipate players are going to take through it. This is how long we think it's going to take them to get to this point, this point, and so forth. And I know exactly what we're building now. And we've been starting work on that. And as people even in the Potato Tail Discord have seen, you know, we've been reporting to the members there uh, our ongoing progress. 
That's really awesome. However, <laughs> I still want to make a bet with you. Oh, no. So I want to bet. It's just maybe for fun bet. You're saying 2023 for potato. How, how confident are you in that? To be honest, I'm 60%. 60%. 65%. So I've been telling uh, people 2025, 26 for Carindale. So I, 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 I challenge you. No, I'm not going to make you a bet. I will challenge you. I will challenge you to get potato done before Carindale. And if you don't, I win something. <laughs> how does that sound? Uh, you got yourself a deal. I just want to know how much we're down the line here. I don't know. We, we, how, how about just a night of drinks? We'll, we'll start small. Night of drinks works. I was going to say a PS5, but they have to exist first, first even buy one. So drinks or a Switch Pro, because those should, should exist by then. Maybe. And Potato Tail will be on it. So I look forward to you buying. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping Carindale will be on it as well. So that's the plan, well, at least. You know me, so we can duck one way or another if you need. <laughs> All right, we'll make it work. Yes. Awesome. Now, now we've now we now we've got motivation for for each other to get our games done in a reasonable time frame. Yes, free drinks. Eh, you know what's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> So, um, holy crap, after that story, the, the, the next question I have kind of seems irrelevant. Do <laughs> you have any other challenges you want to add uh, to, uh, <laughs> to the stuff you faced, or, or, are, you, or are you about good? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm also watching the idle images on the TV above me. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let me, let me phrase the question. What are some of the harder technical challenges you faced? This not not okay. not the all the horrible other stuff when it comes to finding work and finding a, a fair payment, etc. But some of the, some of the stuff that racks your brain that that takes you out of can takes you away from all that all that other sure. shit. Sure. So on Runic, it was interesting because you know that partnership with Leia. Uh, their their phone is actually really cool because it's a hologram phone and it's sort of like a lenticular card and as you rotate it, you can literally like see into the world. And it's sort of like, remember how the 3DS was? You could stare at it and there's that depth to it, except this takes it one step further and you can actually rotate it and see that. And technically um, it does this with a, you know, an array of cameras. And that led a, a pretty big technical challenge in Unity because uh, when you start stacking cameras in Unity, it slows down significantly. So there is actually quite a lot of visual detailing we wanted to put in the game. And we found there was just no way to add it in without dropping our frame rates. Like This is why phenomenal. I love talking to you because I just learned something new. I was wondering why the frame rate dropped in Carindale so much. And it's because I added a bunch of extra cameras and some visual effects. <laughs> well, there you go. That's why. And I mean, like in Potato Tail, we actually do use uh, a bunch of cameras, but we very, very carefully manage what we're rendering. So like this camera only sees these few things, like might only see place characters. And we use that as data to put into different shaders. Um, because things that people have not seen at all yet in Potato, because it's going to be in the new builds, are all these new screen shader effects to do things. Like when you're placing characters, anywhere you can't place a character actually shows like this, you know, 
one kind of overlay anywhere you can place character okay. is gray dark scale. or faded or some okay, right cool. and the characters are in full color so this all had to be we had to render all these separately but we control that very very strongly and by doing that it actually uh, doesn't really hit the frame rate that bad because the cameras aren't rendering everything well right. when you have the lenticular display and you have this array of cameras each camera well, is rendering everything to get that 3d depth so in um <laughs> so when you when you're you uh, working in Unity, though, does the frame rate still get hit? Like, because I, I imagine things are fine when you actually do a, a proper build, but when you're working in Unity, are you, are you seeing? Because that's where, like, it's fine when I do the builds, but when I'm actually working in Unity, that's usually when I see the frame rate hit. Now, there's a frame rate hit in Unity and in the builds. Well, yeah, it, and in the builds, because we had, we had a lot of frame rate issues, to be honest, in, in Runic, and you know, we'd push builds to land. They'd be like, um, your frame well, thought- rate is shit. No, I thought that was just because of my computer. I thought I didn't think it was the game. I wasn't no, going it, to blame on you. <laughs> it's it's very likely that 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 bunch of cameras you have and, and and just you know you can do it as long as you're just very carefully managing the layers and what each camera can see. Yeah, I probably just need to also disable the cameras too when I'm not when I don't need them because I don't need them all the time. That's a good and, tech. This is why I like asking these questions because I feel like I learned something. And that's something we do in Proteda is the cameras aren't all on at all times. I actually wrote a camera management system and I can sort of tell, you know, enable enable camera setup for placing characters. And the one script knows what that means and which cameras to put on, things like that. So so it's it's very, very managed. I feel like I'm going to pick your brain for more more on this later, but not during the podcast. It's probably, it might be boring some of our listeners or engaging them. It's hard to say. We need the side technical podcast. Yeah. We may, yeah, we should, maybe I should do that one time. Okay. Picking, so. picking Red's brain. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Um, uh, okay. I'll ask this question. So you, you, okay. you and I have had this conversation uh, a few times over discord um, and I challenged you on this because we were talking about Potato Tail. And, and the question kind of was, well, how do you think you can get the game done so quickly? And you always sort of lean back and said, well, I've, you basically say you have a shit ton of tools that will make the development fairly rapid. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about that a little bit or? <laughs> sure. Um, so with all of this time that we spent on the game and back when we were just, it was all very, flexible and not really well designed or anything um which also went into the you know so many mechanics and systems in the game is us just be like let's just build this into the game and have fun with it um but part of that was also the behind the scenes tools so you know for for being able to support all the different consoles i wrote a multi-platform wrapper system which means that the game never talks to the consoles the game talks to this wrapper system which then figures out which console you're on and takes things from there right um so as a result, I can add in a new console like last week. All I need is for you to support it and write a wrapper plugin for my existing wrapper and boom, new console supported, nothing else to do. Um, and I've already proven that by easily taking games to mobile, PS4 and Xbox One and Switch by just hitting compile. Uh, oh, wow. So heard- that... Sorry, go ahead. I've heard that shaders can get broken and stuff, though, when you when you cross shaders get broken on PlayStation Four. Yes, so there is a little more work to do there, but on everything else, it's all standard now. Um, Well, that's good. (laughs) But 
And so that can be an issue if you're using a shitload of custom shaders, but I've helped some people with porting where they were using a bunch of custom shaders. It honestly wasn't that big of a deal to, to be like, oh, well, this one thing breaks PS4, so we'll just change it to this globally in all of the shaders and boom, everything works. So it's only really a problem if you're trying to hard code console communication stuff into your game. And if you do, you're going to have a bad time with that port. Oh, yeah. I, I, that, that's sort of, um, to do something like that is generally poor, poor development practices. Yeah. So. But, okay, but to continue the answer. So you know, we have like that tool. We have a lot of in-game tools too. Like I wrote a level of building uh, tool, which I'm actually going to rebuild once we uh, kind of get through the current demos. Um, but I did write a level editor for the game. I wrote all of this. Uh, so, so tell me about that. The le level editor. So <laughs> what's, sorry, I know I'm getting technical here, but <laughs> the just sort of using what Unity has wasn't enough? Like, no. No? So what else did you, what, what, what was missing that? I wanted to be able to take a prefab. So let's say, um, so think of the whole world like it's all Lego blocks, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a scene in the game and I wanted to place like a dresser, but this dresser might be made up of, it might be a prefab made up of a bunch of different objects. So, you know, like drawers and pieces yep. on it, everything. So I'd have that pre-built. Now, mm -hmm. if I were to just take that and drop it into the scene, I would have to go through every single piece and adjust their, you know, layer depth and everything to make sure it works with the other objects in the scene. Well, what I did in the editor is I created this whole palette of things. I, I called them stamps. So I'd have a stamp of that dresser. So I could select that, click in the scene, and I could hit uh, just like the forwards and backwards buttons on my keyboard, and it will properly align all of those layers. The, just the layer buttons. ordering. So that was okay, just, that that's kind of cool because that's like yeah. I do have I do have that problem. Like it, obviously when I'm doing care and Dow stuff, but I I guess it hasn't bothered me enough to think about making a tool to solve it. I guess I don't know. Well, just think of the time save is all. I don't know if it's a huge time save. I've never considered it as like a, a huge time <laughs> sink. But For hey, me, it was I mean, a huge time save. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh, we have a lot of tools to do various things, like you know we have the terrain editor, uh, which is actually part, which is actually part of Unity, not, not one we wrote. Uh, but we have that. I have a very very involved dialogue editing tool that I wrote that allows us to all these dialogue well, options. Tell me, tell me about that because I want to see how it compares <laughs> against mine. Because I wrote, I, I, I'm pretty proud of what I have too. So I, it's a custom node-based dialogue system with a WYSIWYG mm -hmm. editor that actually shows you like the graph. Yep. No WYSIWYG for me. You already got me beat. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's nodes for everything and I can relatively easily add new nodes. And I mean, honestly, the code's gotten a little clunky at this point. I'll probably scrap and rewrite it for potato sequels because um, there are three games planned if it does well. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and, but... Um, 2035? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, each of the dialogue nodes does things like, you know, can adjust the little um, effects over the character's head. You have the little emote icons and that stuff. We can play sound, we can shake the camera, we can move characters around the scene. We can change- I don't do talking. that in my dialogue system. I do that just my cutscene stuff. I just have dialogue cool, just in cool. dialogue. Right. Um, we can change We can change the emotions characters showing their faces. We can change the animation characters are playing. Um, change the music, we can give items to the player, we can give quests, we can complete quests, we can give hats and weapons. Uh, it all plugs into the state system so we can check if different uh, local, local um, what I call volatile states are 
what their value is or if they exist, we can check for game-wide state flags. Uh, we can check if you have a quest, if you have a certain weapon, which I think I already said. So we can check all this and like A, B things. We can also have like um, uh, uh, selectable nodes. So a node you get to, then you like choose like one or two or one or three options, which then branches off to other things. We know how many times you've spoken to a character and many more things. So um, in your WYSIWYG system, because like, is when it comes to like writing, what's the benefit of that versus say just writing together, like throwing together in a C-sharp script for like the sequence of events you want to have have occur in a certain cutscene? Sure, I, I can easily explain that because I've done exactly that in previous projects. Mm -hmm. And the managing that's what of I'm doing that- for Karen now, right? <laughs> the managing of that, the tweaking of things and bug fixing took up more time than I would even want to admit to. Like, you know, we want to tweak one little tiny thing and we change that, but oh, wait, I fucked up something in the code or I went too far. So trying to I haven't to manage, had that problem yet. Hopefully I you don't. Will. You, you, you hopefully won't, but you, you very well might. So like, uh, th that's how we did it in the Steve Aoki game that we released a while ago. All of the, the cinematics were like that. And they were pretty simple in comparison. So based on how much time we spent doing that, I'm like, we can't do that again. If we're going to do all this dialogue stuff, we got to have a proper editor that does all this for us. So now as a result, I can add dialogue in seconds. And that dialogue can do quite a lot of stuff, way more than just, you know, hi, hi. You know, we can have these characters fucking bouncing around. We can be like, we want you to walk over here and then continue the dialogue and all this stuff, all the simple editor. And because it's all, you know, handle in code and it's error checked in code all these things we know it's going to work every single time if i drop this node here i don't have to you know go and wait for everything to recompile and all that i drop it in hit play and we're going right right now and we know it's going to work okay yeah i, I see the time savings there okay you've sold me <laughs> i'm not changing karen down now it's too much oh, work no don't, don't change what you already <laughs> have keep in mind for the future in fact Unity actually added in a graph node system, uh, an open- Which graph. version did they add that in? 2018, 2019, I think it was. It was long after we built the dialogue editor for Potato, because for Potato, we had to write a custom fucking node graph system. Mm. Uh, but Unity's is actually, and I don't always say it's about Unity, it's actually pretty slick. Mm. And I used it uh, when I was helping um, Rocket Cat Games with Dad by the Sword because I did I did sort of some character editing stuff with it and I, I was I'm building this up I'm like man I wish we had this and we did Potato I never would have written a custom node graph engine um, so for future things I'm totally using Unity's built-in one unless they fucking depreciate it again because oh. Unity like gets off on doing that yeah they, they do but like I I, I um. I told you before that when I installed Unity 2020 to do to use a, a lightweight render pipeline so I could do 2D shadows, it completely destabilized my entire computer. It opened Unity and my computer would just crash. <laughs> that sounds like Unity, yeah. I had, to, I had to roll back and I haven't tried again. Maybe when I get a new computer, I finally will. Which I'm still waiting at. That 16-inch MacBook Pro. Here we go again. All right. The URP is pretty nice. Though. I, I use that in everything anymore. Yeah, um, I, I didn't get too much into it, um, but it seems like it would be. <laughs> um, if you could give advice to either a 10-year-old version of yourself or another developer or, or game developer or me, <laughs> what, advice, what advice would that be? 
when you get into the industry, everybody's going to tell you, um, pick something simple and small to make. And I'm I gonna, ignored that. <laughs> well, I Sorry, wish I had ignored that because I always wanted to make the big game. And I had always heard, you know, make the small, simple games, just get some stuff out there. Um, and yeah, no, that's bullshit because Potato, even though I've been making since 2015, I have learned so much making, even getting to where we are with that today. And I've come so much further as an engine, as both an engineer and a game designer and a game developer and a story writer and every, every single part of my career, just by working on a giant game, my, my giant dream game. And if I had done that back in 2002, when I first got started, I think I'll be way further along today. But I took this shitty advice that everybody else says is the best advice you can do in games. So yeah, my, my, my advice is make that giant game. Even if you don't finish it, you're gonna learn so much by doing it, you're going to lightning around your own career. Plus when it comes to games, uh, let's be honest, passion is what really makes it because you get a lot of games out there that are just kind of junk or don't really make money. Then you also get these games that are titles that people put a lot of passion and love into. And those tend to be the games that get much more recognized. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking more for smaller companies. If you're a bigger company, this will get it recognized. Um, but for smaller companies, and I'm not going to say it holds true all the time, but you, know, you get a lot of games like Celeste and such uh, and uh, Fez, which are just made basically with, you know, in absolute debt. Um, but they put a lot into it and they believed in what they were making. And as a result, they put it out there, which kind of also goes to, and I guess, I guess I'm gonna give you a second piece of advice too. Uh, um, and I, this is where I piss off the indies because I, I guess I try not to see myself as indie anymore because what I've, come to learn what indie is a lot. And I, and I say this because I've actually seen people say this too, is indie is not business, indie is making games. I'm like, okay, that's great. But if you're running an indie studio, you need money, you gotta treat your games as products. Um, you, you gotta put passion into it. You can still treat it differently than the big studios do and throw lots of money in, but it still needs to be a product and i have literally seen massive groups of people fight against that and i'm sure you know you'll probably get shit from me saying that on this podcast but that's my two cents is your game is a product treat it like a product I agree. Why, yeah. like I, I i agree with you but i feel like indies get so much pushback because it doesn't sound nice it sounds uh, indie their games are artwork to them. That's probably more artwork than, than something you want to monetize and make money off of, but they all yeah. want to make money off of it. But products need to be more than art. They need to have a market. They need to, they need to be able to make money. I, I mean, um, you know, I, I say potato has three games in the story um, before I, I close it out entirely. And, and I have a planned Fendi ending to the whole thing. But let's be honest, if potato one sells like a copy or two, I'll, I'll, I'll be miserable, but I'll probably cancel the next two games or I'll just Too turn bad. them into like a book or something. You won't get your potato cinematic universe. <laughs> I mean, I certainly hope it does. And that, that's the, the passion of me talking is I want to tell this full story because I mean, I fucking love it. I, I go on walks and all I do in my walk is like listen to music that's inspiring. And imagine like and the game story yeah, and the world. I'm thinking about like, like how the first one ties into the next two and 
and what like the final final boss of the three games are like i have it all planned out and oh, I, out. I, I totally I really relate to it. i've done the same thing with karendow except it's not going to be a kids <laughs> of karendow trilogy it's going to be a kids of and then there'll be a different nation that they're that we're following but all the stories cool. are going to um overlap and the characters will overlap and there is an overarching narrative or overarching narrative that that has already been sort of built out in my mind but <laughs> god knows if we'll ever see that you, you, you don't need to tell me on the podcast i mean but do you know what the names of your games are going to be so the second one is kids of proof and then the third one i haven't named yet um I, i've got a couple ideas because that one's going to have a very heavy sci-fi space element to it <laughs> so I haven't figured out exactly um, how that one's going to work out or if it ever gets made, but story for another year, Fair decade, enough. whatever. Uh, I won't say on the podcast, but I can DM you what the names of all three potato games are. Sweet. Um, there's, it's not, there's some spoiler stuff in the titles. It's nothing you'd be able to discern from me, from me uh, saying it here, but for anybody who's like playing the game or playing demos and things as they get into it if they hear these they'll start to figure shit out so i'll tell you privately after this what the all right. what the games are all called do you want to give a pitch uh for runic sure um so runic uh premium and i do mean premium in every sense of the word none of that premium shit premium match three story adventure coming later this year to whatever our publishers will let us put it on uh about working with the celestials to solve a world ending crisis sounds great <laughs> all right my friend red it has been actually thank you for coming this has been a lot of fun um, we are going to be posting all of your social media and links to any game you basically want in the description so okay. we'll make sure that you, you get all the clicks um yeah it's been great uh thank you so much for coming and we will see you next time thanks for joining us in part two of our interview with red vonix if you enjoyed this content please consider liking this episode and subscribing to our channel now stick around for another song from red's upcoming game runic (laughs) 